turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We're in this brand new series, this Christmas series. It doesn't feel like we should already be close to Christmas. Am I the only one who feels that way? Like, like this year has gone so fast. For the first time ever in the Pereira household, we put up Christmas decorations before Thanksgiving. Like, like we don't normally do that, but because Thanksgiving was so late, we were like, man, I'm not doing all this work for like three weeks. And so, so for the first time ever, uh, we did that. But man, I was, I, as, we were, as I was taking the boxes and the bins down from the attic, uh, trying to do that in a spirit-filled way, uh, doing that, I was reminding myself, it doesn't feel like we should already be doing this. This year went so fast for me. I don't know if it's true for you. Do we have anybody who likes to, is adventurous and likes to do the Black Friday thing? Anybody in this room want to admit that? Raise your hand. Wow, no one. Okay, so supporting our economy uh, this, this, this time of year is not something that you obviously do. Um, but, uh, but I actually had to go out and pick up something uh, yesterday, that, uh, and so I was just reminded why I don't normally do that. And, uh, but I just say all that because it just, for me, it doesn't feel like we should be celebrating this already. But regardless... This is an awesome time of year, isn't it? Now, I know the weather's kind of gloomy outside and depressing. It feels a lot like England, like we never saw the sun when we were over there. So hopefully uh, we didn't bring that weather back with us. But, but oftentimes when we approach these, these times, this time of year, we kind of can oftentimes approach it though we're maybe excited about it because it's nostalgic, Right? So you have traditions that you do, and I'm sure all of you have different traditions, whatever they may be, and so you, you enjoy this time of year because it's nostalgic in a way. It reminds you of some, of some things that, that you enjoyed, maybe growing up, whatever that may be, or some traditions that you've just started to develop um, after being an adult, whatever. So it's nostalgic in a way, right? And, or, or if you have little kids, it's such a joy to be able to see them on Christmas morning when, they, when they, they're just so excited. Like I remember when our kids were really little and what an exciting time that that was. And, and maybe it's a, it's a great time of year for you because you have family coming and, and you get to enjoy that time. And, and I know that's not true of everyone, but I know everyone is excited when the family leaves after a time, right? And, and, uh, and so that's a great time of year because of those things, this, this Christmas season. But I want us, when we go into this series that we're going to look at entitled The People of Christmas, I don't know if you feel this, but I feel this tension in me as someone who is, is teaching that we can kind of approach this time of year going through the motions, especially as we gather together to worship. But we're singing the same songs that we only sing once a year. And there's very few passages of Scripture in the Bible that talk about the story of Christmas. And so you're like, well, I've already heard that before. I can't wait till January when we get into something else. Like, like maybe you're feeling that, that tension. And if I'm going to be transparent with you, I always feel that tension during this time of year when it comes to opening God's Word. But, but as I was even flying back from ministering to England and praying about this series, because I had a lot of time, I had about eight hours to think about and to be praying about this, I really thought to myself, you know what's amazing about the story of Christmas that we oftentimes lose sight of is that the story of Christmas is a story that reminds us that God always keeps his promises. 
That's really what the story of Christmas is all about. Yes, it's about the birth of the Messiah and Jesus coming in, in humble ways and in the form of a baby. Yes, it's about that. But, but at the end of the day, it's a story that reminds us that God always keeps his promises. For the last six weeks, what did we look at? We looked at promises in God's word that are game changers for our lives. And, and this story of Christmas is another promise that God fulfills. In fact, there are 10 Old Testament prophecies that speak to just the birth of the Messiah that are fulfilled in this story. But what I also love about this story is just not, is, is not just the fact that, that it reminds us that God always keeps his promises, but it's also a story that reminds us of this, that God often uses people to accomplish his purposes. Does he have to? No. Does he need to? No. Does he desire to? Yes. That God loves to use his people to accomplish his purposes. And every one of the people that we are going to look at in this series, with the exception of the wise man, are people that, you would, that would not be your first round draft pick. There would not be people that you would say, that is someone that needs to be in this story. They are people of humble means. They are people with, with nothing to their name. They are people that are, that are, that are, that are literally looked, at, looked down on by society. They are, if we're to use this term, they are nobodies in the world's eyes. But it reminds us of a truth, right, that we see God tell Samuel when he's looking for the next king after King Saul in 1 Samuel, when God says, Samuel, don't look on the outward appearance because I look on what? The heart. And in every one of these people that we're going to look at this morning, or look at over the series, I should say, one of those being this morning, is we're going to see that they had a certain heart. And we're not looking at these people to celebrate these people, to, to lift these people above who God is. No, no, no. We're looking at these people because they remind us of the types of people that God uses to accomplish his purposes. And I want you to think of yourself in this way, that God desires to use you to accomplish his purposes. See, oftentimes we think that, well, God, well, God may use people that stand on this stage or or God may use other people in our church that may be leaders in our church, and you might think to yourself, but God can't use me. And what I hope you'll see today and throughout this series is that God's not concerned about what you make, what your background is, what your pedigree is, what your outward talents are, how you're wired. He wants to use you and the way that he does that is by you having the right kind of heart. And so the title of this message, the first character that we're going to look at in this story is Mary. And the title of this message is this, Mary, a heart of faith. That's the type of heart that we're going to see that Mary has. And we're going to look specifically at verses 46 through 55, but really we're going we're gonna to give an overview from verses 26 through 55. Now, let's think about this person in Mary. What do we know about Mary? Well, here's what we know. She was of the tribe of Judah. She was a descendant of David, as well as Joseph, who was going to be her husband, which is important because it fulfills a prophecy that Jesus comes from the 
line of David. She's a virgin. Isaiah 7.14 is one of those prophecies that this story fulfills. She was engaged to a carpenter named Joseph. We're going to look at Joseph in this series. He also lived in Nazareth. We'll talk about Nazareth here in a, in a, in a little bit. And apparently both of them were poor. Like they didn't come from, from uh, great means. They, they didn't come from a wealthy family. They evidently were very poor. Luke 2.24 gives us evidence of that. Now, what you need to understand about engagement, engagement's a little different back then than what it is today. Like today, you know, guys, you, if you ha- hopefully if you have a penny to your name, you try to buy as much of a ring as you can afford, and you get down on one knee. I don't know if that's still what they do, but that's what I did. And, and you get down on one knee, and you try to think of something romantic, which, by the way, ladies, can I just say as a side note, nothing to do with the message, like, like that's a very stressful thing for a guy. But what do we do? Like, like we do that. The guy says, will you marry me? Hopefully the girl says, yes. You hug, you kiss, you celebrate with your friends, and then you set a date for the wedding, right? Well, that's how we do engagements. Engagements was a little different during this time. Some of you may be aware of this. Others of you maybe not. Engagement was, was basically as binding as marriage. Like, you just didn't get engaged because, like, that's the next step of our relationship, I guess. Like, like you don't do that during this time. Shouldn't do that anytime, but definitely didn't do that during this time, and it could only be broken by a bill of divorce. And part of the reason why they had this engagement time is to make sure that this couple had not had sex with one another and gotten pregnant before the actual marriage ceremony and to also make sure that they were not being unfaithful with someone else. So it was was a very binding thing. They even would refer to one another as husband and wife, even though they had not had the ceremony or consummated the marriage. So I say all that to say that Joseph and Mary are in this place. They're basically married without the ceremony, without consummating that relationship. And here's what else you need to understand. Girl, Jewish girls were married young. Like now it's like, like Lori and I got, I got married, I I. I was just about to turn 23, Lori was 22. We were young, man, young. Now people are getting married 25, 30. We got married young, but it's not near as young as when people got married during this time. The average girl got married between 13 and 15 years old. Now I have a 15-year-old. There ain't no way no dude's coming to my house (laughs) and gonna ask my daughter to marry him. Ain't happening. But during this time, that's when Jewish girls were married, 13 to 15-year-old. Now, here's why I'm saying that. Just think about this. You have this girl. I have a daughter that's this age. Some of you may have a daughter that's this age. This young girl between 13 and 15 years old is what most people believe during the custom of that day. And she's a character. She's a person involved in this amazing story. If she was poor, she was probably illiterate. She couldn't read. Her knowledge of the scriptures would have been limited to what she heard in the synagogue or what she would have memorized. I mean, this is the type of person that we're talking about here. Now, when we come to Luke 1, let me just give you an overview of of Luke 1. Luke 1 records many of the preliminary events to the birth of 
Jesus leading up to the famous passage that probably some of us memorize. I remember memorizing when I was a kid in Luke chapter 2, verses 5 through 24 talks about the coming of John the Baptist. And if you, if you remember this story, maybe you don't, and it's significant to what we're going to look at today to give you an idea of what we're looking at in verses 46 through 55, John the Baptist is, is also foretold to his father, Zechariah, and Zechariah was a priest. And so the angel comes to Zechariah, and he, he tells Zechariah that while he's in performing the duties in the temple, that he's going to have a son. Now, here's the deal about Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were too old to have kids, too old. It was humanly impossible. But the angel tells Zechariah that he and Elizabeth are going to have a son, and he is going to be the one who is going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And Zechariah doubts this. He doesn't believe it, and because he doesn't believe it, because he doesn't have faith to believe what God has to say, the angel removes his his voice from him. He can't talk, and he can't talk for the entire time that Elizabeth is pregnant until the child is born, and so that's the judgment on Zechariah, because after all, can you think of a couple of a couple in the scriptures who also were given a promise far past the time that they should have kids, that they were gonna have a child. And if you are wise on your Bible trivia, you would say Abraham and, and Sarah, right? So it's not that Zachariah didn't, didn't know this story and knew that this hasn't happened before. He had evidence to believe, to go on, that this was not the first time that God had done this. Nevertheless, Zachariah doubts in his Speech is removed from him for the entire length of the pregnancy. Now we come to verses 26 through 38, and the angel appears to Mary in Nazareth. Now here's what you need to know about Nazareth, and it's actually still true today. I had the privilege for our bus to drive through Nazareth. It's a dumpy place, and it was that way back then. Do you remember what Nathaniel says in John 1, what good can come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was looked at as a, as a place you would never go. So think of whatever place that is here in Forsyth County, which I am not going to mention anything, therefore not to offend anyone, but you think of it in your own mind. It's like a place that nobody would go to. Why would you go there? Not only that, but it was looked down upon because because Jews had racial prejudices, and so there was intermingling of of Jews with non-Jews, and so it was just looked down as a place that no one in their right mind would say that that is where the Messiah needs to come from, except for God. But that's where Mary hears, and the angel Gabriel comes to her and explains to her that she's going to give birth to the Messiah. And we've heard this story a million times, right? So we take it for granted. Oh, Mary, here's Angel. Angel Gabriel comes, and she's so excited, and, and you know she's pregnant for nine months, and she gives birth to the Messiah. Wait a minute. Let's go back, and let's put ourselves once again where Mary is. She's never been with a man. She's, vir- she's a virgin. She's in this engagement time. That part of the purpose is to show that Joseph and and Mary are are pure going into their marriage. And she has an angel show up to her. That ever happened to you? Never happened to me. And if it did, I would wonder, like, what's, like, maybe I need to go visit someone. Never happened to her before. 13 to 15-year-old girl. 
And this angel comes to her and says, Mary, you're going to be the one who's going to give birth to the Messiah. So it's, it's probable that Mary had some questions, right? And, and we see in these verses that she shares those questions. Think about what she was thinking. How my parents are going to respond? Who's going to believe this? I'm poor. I'm from a nowhere, no-name place that nobody ever cares to come. What's Joseph going to think? What are people going to think? And so we see in verses 39 through 45 that she goes and she visits Elizabeth, who she's related to. And can you understand, have you ever had something difficult happen to you or something that you can't believe has happened to you? What do you normally do? You call up your girlfriend you go over, he's like, can you believe what happened? You look for someone, some type of friend to comfort you in your time of anxiety, and that's what Mary does here. And she visits Elizabeth, who's six months pregnant at the time, with John the Baptist. And it's interesting that what happens is, is that the baby inside of Elizabeth, who is John the Baptist, kicks when Mary shows up. Pretty amazing. And so in verses 46 through 55, we have this song that we're going to look at here quickly. But I'm setting this up to kind of knock off the dust that you probably have when it comes to the Christmas story. See, faith is more than an intellectual belief. Like, I'm all about apologetics. I think it's good to know that God doesn't expect us to throw our brains into a trash can to believe that this is the word of God. I I love studying that stuff. I think it's important. I think it's valuable. But at the end of the day, faith is more than intellectual belief. It's more than that. What this angel is asking Mary to believe is for sure more than intellectual belief. Faith is this. Faith is belief plus trust. To have faith in God is always going to ask me to have trust in who God is and what he says. So here's what I want you to understand this morning. Here's what we're going to look at as we look through this song of Mary. It's this, that in order for me to give praise towards God, it requires me to have faith in God. You can't praise God without faith. You can't. And we're going to see that in this passage of scripture because Mary's heart of faith teaches us something about praising God. Here's what we oftentimes think about praise. Here's what I think of when I think of praising God. I think that I need to give praise to God because of what he's already done in my life. And I would, and, and if that answer's not wrong. If that's your answer, that answer's not wrong. Why do we give praise? Well, because of the things that I've been able to see him accomplish in my life. Absolutely, praise God for that. But we always see praise as a reactive thing in our walk with the Lord. But what I love about this song that we're going to look at here in verses 46 through 55 from this teenage girl who's had her world rocked by this pronouncement is that we need to be reminded that there's another side of the coin of faith and praise. See, it doesn't take a lot of faith to praise God for what he's already done. That's a reactive thing. It's an important thing. We can look at passages of scripture that tell us to do that, to celebrate what God's already done, but it 
It takes an element of faith to praise God for what he has yet to do. See, every person in this room wants God to intervene in their life in some way. Whether that's your job, whether that's a relationship, whether that's in your marriage right now, whether that's in a financial situation, whether that's your health, whatever it is, you are wanting God to intervene in some way in your life. I have things in my life. And I think we lose sight of the importance of praising God for what he has yet to accomplish. That praising God is not just a reactive thing, but it's a proactive thing. Because what Mary is going to praise God for in this psalm, that she declares, is not for what's already happened, but for what she's believing God is going to do. And that's so important in our lives that we need to understand that my praise is rooted in the faith that I have in who God is and what God will accomplish. So what I want to do this morning is simply give you five things that we need to have the faith to praise God for. That Mary is going to praise God for in this song that we have before us. Look at the, fir the first one is found in verses 46 through 48. Let's look at these verses. It says this, and Mary said, my soul, that word soul means her entire being, her mind, her will, her emotions, my soul magnifies, that word magnifies means to make great. So my soul, all of my being magnifies, makes great the Lord, and my spirit, you're like, well, what's the difference between soul and spirit in this passage of scripture? Spirit has the idea of her personality, how she's wired. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked. If you write in your Bible, you ought to write above that word looked. It literally means this, to take notice, to pay close attention to. It's much more significant than what we see in the English here. For he has taken notice, he pays close attention on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. Here's the first thing that we need to have faith to praise God for today. Number one, God takes notice of you. And I say that because Mary understands and praises God in this song that God takes notice of her. I mean, Mary was the only one in billions of women who were chosen by God to give birth to the Messiah. The Jewish women of the day knew these prophecies. They were told these prophecies. These are prophecies that would have been read in the synagogue. So I'm sure that every girl had in her mind, would I be the one that God would choose to give birth to the Messiah? Now, for sure they didn't understand how that would happen. They know Isaiah 7, 14, that a virgin shall conceive. They're thinking to their minds, I have no idea how that would happen. It's an impossibility. But nevertheless, it was something that everyone, every woman desired. And I'm sure Mary thought, never going to be me. I'm from Nazareth. I'm a nobody. I'm poor. I can't even read. But I love that she praises that God took notice of her. And here's something that I think we need to be careful of. 
is we oftentimes, because there are certain groups that would make too much of Mary, that would almost elevate her to a place of divinity. And so therefore, we're so careful to say, well, we're going to go the opposite way and not really make much of Mary at all. And what we need to understand is, no, 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 there's significance in who Mary was and the faith that she had and the, and the cost that, that, that was put on her. And she recognizes that all of the generations are going to call me blessed, that I have a privilege, and that God literally took notice of me. But she doesn't allow that. What I love about Mary is in her faith to trust God. She praises God that God takes notice of her, but she also doesn't allow it to go to her head. Because she says there, look at it, she says in these verses, for he's taken notice on the humble estate of his servant. She recognizes that she's a nobody. And she realizes that she needs a savior. Because how does she refer to who God is? She says, I rejoice in God my Savior in verse 47. Listen to me. We need to be reminded this morning that whatever we are going through today, that one of the promises and one of the things that we need to praise God for and remind ourselves of is that God takes notice of you. I think we doubt this reality too often. We diminish ourselves in God's eyes. God can't use me because of my past. God can't use me because I'm not as gifted as someone else. God can't use me because of this or that or whatever it is. And what I love is this. Listen to me. If that's the way that you're thinking, allow this story of Christmas to shatter those thoughts. Because Mary, according to the culture of the day, was a nobody. But she was a somebody in God's eyes because of her heart. She had a heart of faith. And what she was clinging to and praising God for is that, God, you, you do take notice of me. And God takes notice of you. And here's why I know that. Because just like God chose Mary to be the one to give birth to the Messiah, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, God chose you. Ephesians 1 verses 4 through 6 says this, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. In other words, there's nothing that I could do to earn it. There's nothing that I could do to deserve it. But as Ephesians 2, 1 says, I was dead in my trespasses and sins, but God adopted me. He took me from my pathetic way, my hopeless way, and he brought me into the family of God through Jesus Christ. He paid the ultimate price for my adoption in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one that he loves. Listen to me, this passage of scripture scares a lot of people because we're like, well, I don't know how to, how to, Answer, what do you, God chose us and he predestined us and how does that work with my free will and am I a robot and, and all these other things. And let me just tell you that you're never gonna fully understand how God's sovereignty and your free will works. But here's what's awesome. 
that just because I can't fully understand it, let me just say as a side note, when I get to the point where I'm like, oh, I can explain in my finite mind how God's infinite mind works, I promise you you're off in your theology. But don't allow because you can't understand it to rob you from this amazing promise that God chose you. And because God chose me, and if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to know that you're here today so that you can hear about the love that God has for you, that it's not in the good that you do in life that can hopefully warrant you access to the Lord in a relationship and a home in heaven one day, but it's in what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you through his perfection in the place of your sinfulness, for his perfect death in order so that you might have life and his resurrection so that we can live victoriously in this life. Listen to me, there is beauty and understanding that the gospel reminds me that God takes notice of me. So some of you may be like that. I think you can't be used by God. Others of us may be a little bit too proud of our, maybe are a little too proud of ourselves. And we think we got it all together. And here's what I found in speaking for me, because I know me, I may not know you, is that's just a veneer because you really understand you don't have everything under control. And God will always bring you to the place when you start acting like you do to bring you to a place where you understand in a greater way that you don't. And if that's you this morning, I want you to understand that he takes notice on the humble estate of his servant. And he will do what is necessary to bring you to the place to realize who you are and who God is. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you in due time. Cast your anxieties on him for he cares for you. He takes notice of you. We need to praise God for that. Here's the second thing, and it's found in verse 49, 51, and 52. It says, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Remember, Mary is praising God for something that hasn't happened yet. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. What is she doing? Here's a second thing we need to praise God for that Mary is doing in this psalm is that she's praising God's character and how God's character always accomplishes great things, which means God's character always accomplishes great things for you. Always. You know, notice that these are 100% statements. That's what Mary does here. What's the great thing that God has done for her? Well, she's the one who's going to carry the Messiah. Mary praises that God's name will be set apart from all others by this great thing. She says, holy is your name. Holy means set apart. God, your name is going to be glorified because of this. Because surely I would not be anyone that anyone would think would be the one chosen to do this. Mary acknowledges that God humbles the proud and exalts the lowly in, this, in these verses. And can I just remind you that God's accomplished great things for you? You're like, I can't remember any. But he has. You know what great things are? Things that you can't take credit for. 
Just thinking this last year, what are things that God has done that you know you can't take credit for? When's the last time you've praised him for those things? There are things coming to my mind right now. There's no way I can take credit for them. To do so would be sinful. Let me ask it another way. What are you taking credit for? That is rightly God's. And what you should be praising Him for. See, God sets apart His name and reveals His character through the great things that He does. He does it all the time. All the time. And whatever it is that you are struggling with today to have faith in, whatever situation, whatever health concern, whatever, whatever trial, whatever circumstance, I don't know what they are, but I know that every one of us in here has them. Let's praise God. Even though we don't know what he's going to do, let's praise God because we know his character. We know that he will set apart his name. We know that he will glorify himself. And Psalm 92, four through six says this, for you make me glad by your deeds. Lord, I will sing for joy at what your hands have done. How great are your works, how profound your thoughts. Senseless people do not know. Fools do not understand. But Mary praises God for his character, for who he is. And this morning, we need to exercise the faith before God even intervenes, that God, your character, always accomplishes great things for me. Here's the third thing, and it's found in verse 50. Look at what she says. She says, and his, God's mercy, is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Here's the third thing we need to praise God for today. Number three, God's mercy is always extended towards you. Always. Mary praises God's mercy that it extends from generation to generation. Not just to her, but this is who God is. What's mercy? We know this definition, not getting what I deserve. And what I love about this verse 50 in Mary's song that's given to her under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is she shares and celebrates something amazing about God, that God's mercy never runs out for you. It never runs out. My mercy runs out. Your mercy runs out. Your mercy may have, run out, may have run out for me. I don't know. Our mercy runs out. But God's mercy never runs out. God's word says that God's loving kindness is what brings me to repentance. His mercy. His mercy never runs out. Ephesians 2, 4 talks about God being rich in mercy. And so you're here this morning and you're, you're living a pattern of sin and, and you're doing what, whatever you want to do and you're not seeing the consequences of that sin manifest itself right now. That's God's mercy for you. God's mercy is being extended to you right now. And if you are living in the consequences of your sin right now, stop thinking that it's over. God's mercy never runs out. It extends from generation to generation. Stop defining yourself by your failures 
and define yourself and praise God for today, his mercy. His mercy. Here's the fourth thing, and it's found in verse 53. It says, he fills the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Here's the fourth thing we need to praise God for today that Mary does. God's provision always meets your needs. What's the significance of this verse to Mary? What did we say Mary was? She came from a lowly place. She was poor. She didn't have a lot. She had actually probably nothing according to for sure our standards today. And yet Mary says here, Lord, this is, a, this is an example that you fill the hungry. Mary doesn't know how people are going to respond to this. She doesn't. I'm sure she's battling. Are people going to think I'm crazy? Are people going to think you seriously would justify your betrayal on Joseph in saying that this baby inside of you is the Messiah? Like, really? You're going to go there? The looks that she would get, the whispers behind her back, all of those different types of things that she knew that she was going to have to endure, but she doesn't concentrate on those things. Rather, she praises God because she has faith in God and says, God, this is just another sign that you always meet my needs. And what I've found in my life is that God always wants me to grow, grow, God always wants to grow me in this reality. God brings me to points in my life where I'm hungry. And understanding that my hunger can only be satisfied by one person, and that is God Himself. And here's an amazing promise here this morning that when I'm hungry, and I've tried to fill it with everything, possessions, status, whatever it is. I've tried to fill my appetite with those things. That at the end of the day, when I come to a place where I realize that those things don't satisfy, and that will happen to all of us, that we understand that when we are hungry, Jesus is the one who satisfies. And it says here, by the way, that he rejects the self-sufficient because it says the rich, he sent away, sent away empty. You know what? No one praises God for his provisions with a proud heart. No one. Because in order to praise God, we have to have faith in God. It's the idea that we're looking at this morning. Ephesians 4.19, I love what it says. It says, and my God will meet all your needs, not some not a few, all your needs, according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Now, here's the significance of that phrase. Here's the significance of it. Because if you're doubting this morning that God deserves your praise, if you're doubting that, and I've doubted that, then what God wants me to do today is to figuratively peer into and look at his word today. And throughout this series and during this time of year, and it doesn't have to be just this time of year, and let me look again at the manger. Let me look again at this story because the manger reminds me that God will meet all of my needs. Let me look at the cross because the cross reminds me that God will meet all of my needs. 
Let me look and praise God and let me peer into the empty tomb and remind myself that the manger and the cross and the empty tomb are the three greatest evidences that I can praise God this morning for this reality that God's provision always meets my needs. Here's the last thing this morning. It's found in verses 54 and 55. Look at how Mary closes out this song. She says, he has helped his servant Israel. Man, don't you love Mary's heart? Like she just doesn't praise God and it's all about her. But she understands the deliverance that's gonna come through the Messiah for all of Israel and for all of the generations that will live on this earth. They place their trust in Christ as their Savior. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. See, there was a promise in Genesis 26.4 that God gives Abraham. He says, Abraham and you, all of the nations will be blessed. In other words, Abraham, from your seed, from your line will come the Messiah who will bring deliverance, spiritual deliverance, and in one day, and one day physical deliverance for all of his people. And Mary, even though she most likely can't read, was astute enough to know that God was not just taking notice of her, that God just wasn't displaying his character to her, that God just wasn't showing his mercy to her, that God just wasn't reminding her that he will meet all of her needs, but there was a, even a greater promise in this, and it's this fifth promise that we need to praise God for today, that God is always faithful to keep his promises. That doesn't mean necessarily that God's going to work things out according to your agenda. No, 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 his promises but because God is holy, as Mary acknowledges, however he, way he intervenes will always be in such a way that is for my best in his glory. And man, I'm so thankful today for the promises that God has fulfilled in my life and made evident in my life for ways that I wanted to happen and God, out of his grace, said no. God always fulfills his promises. And I try to keep promises. I try. I want to. But my sin causes me to fall short many times. Circumstances may cause me to fall short, may cause you to fall short. We disappoint those that we love. But that's why we ultimately don't focus on a person. But we focus on God. We focus on who he is, like Mary does. And as we close this morning, I want to just point you to a passage of Scripture that we've mentioned many times here. But it's a passage of Scripture that ties into what I said at the beginning of this message about the story of Christmas. That the story of Christmas is a story that God always keeps his promises. Because in 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says this, all the promises of God Find their yes in him. All the promises of God. 
Like every promise, is a promise of God, over 3,000 of them, we looked at six of them for the last six weeks. That the reason why I can say today that I can have faith in God and praise him for what he has yet to do in my life is because of Jesus Christ. It's because of what the story of Christmas is. It's because of the manger. It's because of the cross. It's because of the empty tomb. And the reason why I can praise God for what he has yet to do is because of who Jesus Christ is. All the promises of God have their yes in Jesus. And it says, that is why. It's through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Listen to me. Whatever you're doubting, whatever you're struggling with, whatever you are facing this morning, and let's have a heart of faith. Let's have a heart like this humble young girl who didn't ask for this, but at the same time was privileged to be invited into God's purposes for all of mankind. So as we sing this song, as, as the band comes out, man, just take a time, bow your head, close your eyes, talk to God about whatever it is that you're struggling with this morning. And understand the beauty and the faith and praising God before He intervenes. And what that does for your heart, what that does for your soul.